morning, we are going through the books of history in the Old Testament. I know sometimes when we talk about um, these type of things, like for instance, we're in the books of history, some people just automatically, this is boring, I don't, want, I don't really need that. But uh, when you look through the Old Testament, we did the 30 lessons on the Pentateuch, and now we're doing 30 lessons on um, history, and then we'll do a less, uh, 30 lessons we're permitting on poetry, and then 30 lessons on the minor prophets and the major prophets. And I, there's five main sections to the Old Testament. The New Testament is broke down the same way as far as uh, if you were going to break down in, those sec- in sections, it's, it's very breakable down. And I think the Old Testament is the same way. So we're, I'm on lesson, I think, 27 of 30, if not 26, I think 27. And so I've got about two or three more lessons to this series of lessons about history. It started in Joshua. It's going to go through Esther. And uh, some of them have some really unique stories. And to choose only 30 lessons in such a large grouping, it's really trying to give an overview of the Old Testament. And uh, again, I hope they've been a blessing to you and I hope. And the goal is, is that these lessons will be printed for a whole lot of other people also. You know, you're the guinea pigs. And so uh, if the lessons don't go over, it's too bad. It's going to go anyway. But uh, the goal is, is to print these lessons. And of course, we have, I don't know how many curriculums now uh, across the United States and in foreign countries as far as these lessons. And so with this one will actually be an overview of the Old, uh, Old Testament and New Testament and cover three years of lessons. And so again, we're looking forward to getting these also in print. Ezra chapter 1, let's look at verse number 1 together. Verse 1 says this, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord uh, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that, and, that he made proclamations throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you of all his people, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering, for the house of God is in Jerusalem. That's your family. When you look at the book of Ezra, just again so you have in your mind, I, this is how I think of it as, okay? The first six chapters is going to be this group of Jews that leave Babylon, and they're going to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple. In chapters number 7 through chapter number 10 is really the story of Ezra himself, who's going to also go back to Jerusalem years later, and he's going to set up the worship and uh, ceremonial worship is also as far as for the children of Israel. Now, it's interesting here, God always has a plan. Just like he has a plan for our life, he had a plan for Israel. And Israel, of course, went into captivity. And when they went into captivity, God said by the prophet Jeremiah, you're going to be there for 70 years. And after 70 years, you're going to be released. And right on time, what does God do? He stirs up the spirit of Cyrus, the king, and says, okay, I want you to let my people go. And I want you to send them back if they would like to. Let them go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Now, this book uh, illustrates a group of people who had a heart for God. Now, think about this. The people that went into captivity, the first group went into captivity to Assyria, and that was Israel. The second group went into captivity in Babylon, and that was Judah. All right? So you had the ten tribes and the two tribes. It's this, these, this grouping of Israelites, which we refer to as Judah, often called the Israelites, but Judah itself, that went into captivity in Babylon and now have an opportunity to go back. Now, they've been in Babylon for how long? Talk to me now. 70 years. So for 70 years, they've been in captivity, and they did exactly what God told them to do in this sense. He said, you're going to be there, seek their peace. You're going to be there, build houses, have children, establish yourself. And so they did that over 70 years. Now God says, you can go back to uh, Jerusalem and build the temple. Not everybody went back. 
There were people that got, they got secure, they got stable, their families were there. They didn't want to leave that security, and so they stayed right there. But there was a group of Israelites that decided to go back who God also stirred their hearts. Look at your Bible again in verse number five now. It says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and, and the priest and the Levites, and all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them, the ones that stayed behind, all that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of the gods, of his gods. Even those did Cyrus king of Persia bring forth by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. All right, now church family, jump down to chapter 2, verse 1. Now these are the children of the province that went up. We are not going to read all of those different names. The children of, children of, children of, children of. But jump down to verse 64 of that chapter, chapter 2. The whole congregation together was 40 and 2,303 score. So 42,360. Then verse number 65, beside their servants and their maids of whom there were 7,330 and seven. So if you add 42,360, 7,337, there was 49,697 Jews that go back. So almost 50,000. They decided to go back because they had a heart for God that God had stirred them up. All right. Jump down in your Bible in verse number um, 68. And some of the chief of the fathers, in other words, these are the ancient men, old men, like Brother Neary. And some of the chief of the fathers, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to set it up in its place. They gave after their ability. All right. And then you have chapter number three. Uh, again, we're going to just read a few more verses here in chapter number three. When they get there, verse number six from the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not laid. All right, now church, let me follow them, following the timeline. They leave Babylon, they go to Jerusalem. They get there for the first seven months. All they do is set their houses up. All right, that's all they do. They don't do anything else as far as getting, getting things set. Uh, they set their houses up. Now jump down in verse number eight. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, last phrase of verse number eight, to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. All right, so they're there now for two years and two months, and now they're going to set uh, the kingdom up. All right, or I'm sorry, set the temple up. All right, jump down in verse number 11. And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were the ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. First phrase, chapter four, now when the adversaries of Judah, all right, now, let's stop for just a moment here. I'm gonna make application, but again, just so you have the story in your mind, as far as the book of Ezra. The first six chapters is about Zerubbabel bringing a group of people that had a heart for God to go back and build the temple. Chapter number seven through chapter number 10 is Ezra going back with a group of people to establish their worship, all right? If you're with me so far, say amen. So when they leave Babylon and they get there, the first thing they do for the first seven months, they, they set up their own housing and get themselves situated. After seven months, they come together, they offer sacrifices to God, and they're gonna do it morning and evening and asking the Lord to bless them as they begin to build this particular temple. 
After two years and two months, the foundation of the temple is finally laid. All right? And of course, they're rejoicing. Half are rejoicing, half are crying. The half that are rejoicing are the young people that had not seen it before. The ones that were crying are the ones that had seen the first temple and the foundations being laid. A lot of emotion going on, obviously. And then, and then if you follow this along, as soon as the foundation are laid, then the adversaries come along. All of chapter 4 are about people who tried to hinder the work that, that they were trying to do. All right? Let's go a little farther here. So that's chapter number 4. Uh, in chapter number 5, chapter 4, actually, the work was hindered. In chapter number 5, it says, Then the prophets Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem. In verse number 2, Then rose Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and began to build. Now, again, we're not reading the whole book, but understand in chapter number 4, when the adversaries came along, they were able to get them to stop. In chapter number 5, the prophets say, What are you doing? All right. If you read the book of Haggai, he says, How come you're in your sealed house and you can't finish the temple? So all of a sudden, the people start building again, and God gives them favor and grace to be able to do so. All right, chapter number six, uh, they tried to get King Darius to stop it, and of course, they could not get it to stop. Um, and Darius told them to go ahead, and he said, go ahead and let, let them continue. Verse number, uh, let's pick it up in verse number 14, chapter six. It says, and the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they builded and what? Verse number 15, and this house was finished in the third day of the month, Adar, which was the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Now, church family, that's the history side of the rebuilding of the temple. Church, uh, remember now, Israel, captivity, there for 70 years. Now, Cyrus lets a group of them come back, 50,000 of them come back. They build the temple. The temple is being built, and it is finished. Now, what's the application for the Christian? I think there's a lot of applications, okay? I think that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're saved this morning, if you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, then, then you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. This morning I was at McDonald's and there's an old guy that always sits there, a very, very educated man. And um, he's probably, 80, probably in his 80s. And uh, he's, he, uh, there's no doubt the guy was probably, you know, if not, if not a millionaire, close to it. He's just, just a very type of business type of fella. He's been there. And I'm talking now, I've seen him for years, probably four or five years at least, uh, sitting in there. And uh, I've never had an opportunity to really to witness to them, but they know who I am. They know what I do. They, I mean, they, they, they don't mind talk, uh, skirting around religious things, but they sure don't want to talk to me about religious things. And so, but today, of all days, um, he talked about how he went to a funeral, and he said he'd never been in a funeral like it before. And I said, what kind of church were you at? He says, a Baptist church. He opened the door. He was about to walk out today. He showed that when I first got there. He's getting ready to leave. This morning's probably eight, oh, I don't know what time it was, probably eight o'clock this morning, he was getting ready to leave. And, um, and I said, hey, listen, you just came from a funeral, it wasn't by an accident. I said, that woman that, that they buried, she didn't go to heaven because she's a good person, she went to heaven because she was saved. He said, but I'm an atheist. I said, I don't know. I said, That's the, I, said I said, I really feel for you because you are so educated and you know everything about Jesus Christ and how he died for your sins. Amen. But you don't believe it. He said, I don't. He says, I've done all the reading on it. He says, I don't believe it. Now, I want to tell you something. That man is lost as can be, and he knows he's lost. I mean, he just, he just knows it. And you might be sitting in here this morning, and I'm just trying to tell you, you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you except if you're saved. And you can't even begin to build a life for the Lord Jesus Christ unless you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's right. I was talking to him. I said, listen, you don't go to heaven because you do good works. 
he talked about Catholicism and all the things that he studied about Catholicism because sometimes he, tr he tries to relate us to Catholicism and Protestants and all that kind of thing. And of course, Baptist churches didn't come out of the, out of the Protestant movement of the Reformation. We never came out of the Catholic Church. Jesus Christ started the church and there's been a line of churches ever since because Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Which means there's always been a church like the church Christ started and there always will be a church like Christ started. Amen. That's right. Baptists are not Protestant. We didn't come out of the Catholic Church. But that's all he can parallel because that's all he knows as a lost person. And I just think that there's people that go to church and they are good people in the morality, but they're still sinners like the rest of us. And it's our sin that sends us to hell. And without Jesus Christ, they have no hope of heaven. Amen. Now, can I just tell you that when this morning's message or thought about this idea of building the temple or rebuilding the temple, can I just tell you, you don't even have a temple unless you're saved. Because when you get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of a person and causes us to be that temple of the Lord. And I want to make the application. We can make the application to us personally as far as building our temple, as far as our spirituality or our spiritual life. We can talk about building the church of God if we would like to. But can I just tell you, we are constantly as Christians supposed to be building things, not destroying things, building things. And I'm talking about as a Christian. And I think the parallel, there's several parallels, and I want to talk to you about just two of them this morning. I want to talk about chapter number four, about those who hindered the work of God, and I want to talk to you in chapter five and six on those who helped the work of God. And again, I want to make the parallels to us as individuals, all right? So let's look at chapter four this morning first, and let's see those who hindered the work of God in chapter four. Look at verse number one again, chapter four. Again, building the, t uh, the temple of God there in Jerusalem. Chapter 4. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel, to Zerubbabel, to the chief of the fathers, and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esar Haddon, king of Aser, which brought us up hither. Verse 3, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God. But we ourselves will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Now, church family, can I just tell you that I, I want to make some parallels real quickly here this morning. When it comes to us building the house of God, when it comes to us to building our faith, when it comes to building our families, when it comes to building the church, and we as the word edify is where we get the word build and throughout the scriptures, the word edify means to build up. We should be constantly building up, not building down. And I'm just trying to tell you that when Satan, he knows exactly what he's doing. And it's really pictured here in this, this chapter number four, as well as the story, is the first thing that these enemies came and said, hey, listen, let's work with you. Now, I'm going to just use the word infiltration, but can I just tell you, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number um, 13 through 17, what does he say? He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But what does he say? Come out from among them. Can I tell you something? Christians cannot be yoked up with the world and think you're going to be building yourself up. It's not going to happen. Amen. I know that we're living in a day. Pastor, we're supposed to be the salt and the light. We're supposed to be able to, we're supposed to rub shoulders with the lost. And I'm, listen, I understand completely. You're supposed to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. But as a light, there is too much scripture that says, hey, listen, you're not supposed to yoke up with them. They're not supposed to be your bosom buddy. You're not supposed to be spending the majority of your time with those who are lost. And I want to tell you something. People that make excuses that it's okay to be able to rub shoulders with the lost and be with the lost, those same people aren't telling the lost how to be saved. Listen, the first thing that happened is this. He says, they didn't say stop what you're doing. You know what they said? Let us help you. That's what they said. So the idea of infiltration, when it comes to us as Christians, may we keep ourselves separate from the world. Separate from the world. Again, that was 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry, I said 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 18. The second thing is look at verse number 4. 
Now, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to what? <clears throat> to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, church family, not only do they use infiltration, they use frustration. I want to tell you something. Lost people will frustrate you. If you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not going to like you. I think, I think it's Proverbs 29, maybe the last verse of the chapter. He says, um, the unjust and the just. The just is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Can I just tell you, lost people are not your friend. All right? Now, again, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say destroy all your friendships with, with people. I'm saying take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was D.O. Moody that had a guy that came up to him and said, hey, I just got saved. How do I get rid of all these friends that are bad for me? D.O. Moody says, you won't have to get rid of them. You take a stand for Christ, they'll get rid of you. The, the, our, our thinking is so, it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just afraid that I'm going to offend them. Church family, it's not you that offends them, it's the Bible that offends them. Right. It's your stand for Christ that offends them. That's why you get the accusations, you go to a cult. That's why you get the accusations, you know, that church you go to, go to you know, th th they're a little bit weird. Okay, but can I just understand, Jesus said, I'm sorry, the Bible says, which is Jesus Christ, obviously, but he said that we are a peculiar people. What makes us peculiar? Because Christ is holy and we're supposed to be holy. We're living in a day today that everybody wants to be not too far from the world because we don't want to be ostracized by the world. We should be ostracized by the world. Amen. And so, can I tell you, if you're going to build your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're going to influence others and make, and, and make things go, progress like the Lord want, wants you to do spiritually, then I'm going to just tell you something. You can't infiltrate or let the world infiltrate you. You, you cannot, not only inf infiltration, but the idea of frustration. You can't let the world bother you. I, I, I think I've got the verse here, Proverbs chapter 3. It says, be not afraid. This is interesting. He says, be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. Now think about it. He didn't say if it comes. He says when it comes. Can I just tell you, there are going to be times in your life that desolation of the wicked, the affliction of the wicked, people are going to bother you, say things about about you. The rest of the verse, the next verse says this in Proverbs 3, 25 and 26. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is not in man. Our confidence is in God. And listen, there's some of you that haven't been saved very long. And, and you've gotten saved and, you, you know, you're, you are encouraged by the word of God and by the preaching of the word of God. And things, but can I tell you something? It's not going to be a bed of roses. It's not going to stay easy for you. If you take a stand for Christ, somebody's going to say something bad about you. Yeah. It's going to happen. And, and you have to understand, it's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what does the world do to hinder us? Infiltration, frustration. Look at the next thing, verse number six. Uh, it goes on to say, "And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him, and what's the word?" accusation against the inhabitants, inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. All right, and then verse number 11 is that accusation, verse number 11 down to verse number 16. Basically, they write King Artaxerxes and says, hey, listen, if you let these guys go, they're going to cause you trouble down the road. Verse 17, then sent the king an answer unto Rehum the chancellor and to Shimshai the scribe and to the rest of the companions that dwell in Samaria and to the rest beyond the river, peace at such a time. Verse number 19, and I command and search hath been made, and it has found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. Verse number 21, give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, and that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. 
So obviously Cyrus is not king. Artaxerxes is the king. They send a letter of accusation. It says, if you let this thing go, they're going to be against you. They're going to set their own king up. And Artaxerxes writes back and says, you know what? I've, just, I've done some history checking. I found out that city in Jerusalem, there were some powerful kings there. And everybody gave toll and tribute to them. He says, you tell them to stop building right now. I think sometimes the devil will cause legislation. And, and the idea of trying to get... Uh, again, through all of these uh, measures, and again, I think they're on your lesson this morning, infiltration, frustration, accusation, and then legislation, sometimes the laws of the land. Now, Mr. Chairman, I just want, I want to say it this morning, but can I just tell you, we have a higher legislation. It's called the Word of God. Amen. You know, isn't it interesting? We don't mind as Christians to say abortion's wrong and it's murder, okay? But it's seemingly if the legislation says, hey, listen, I don't think you should have church, well, then we, we need to obey government. Government told us not to have church. Did you see how many fewer amens we got on the second one than we did the first one? Now, listen, we've already made it through the first pass, and I know this could happen again. Church didn't close its door the first time. We're not closing its door the second time. But I still had people. We had one family out of all that mess that left the church, and they said I was wrong for not obeying the government. Now, I'm just trying to tell you this morning that we have a book called the Bible, and the Bible is our legislation. Amen. He tells in the book of Ecclesiastes that we're supposed to obey the oath of God more than man. And I'm just, I, I'm amazed how many independent Baptists want to say, it's, you know, the government can define what church is. The government doesn't even know what church is because the most of the ones making the law aren't even saved. Now, I'm just trying to tell you this morning, there's going to come a time, if the Lord tarries his coming, perilous times shall come. And there's going to be times in our life that we're going to have to take a stand for Christ and people are not going to agree with it. But we're not living here to get man to agree with it. Galatians 1.10, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Amen. Paul said, our servanthood is not to what men thinks. Our servant is to God and what he thinks. Amen. We're supposed to be builders. And there's always going to be people that are going to try to hinder the building that we do. Whether it's in our families, our church, or us as an individual. Quickly, I want to just show you now as far as those who help. And this is interesting. I like this the best, okay? Can I point some particular verses in the story for you? Look at Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. I'll just read that first uh, verse there. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Church, I'm going to look at uh, verse, chapter 5, verse number 5. Chapter 5, verse number 5. The Bible says this. It says, uh, But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease. Look at chapter 6, verse number 22. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful. The Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands. Who turned the heart of the king of Assyria? The Lord did in the hands, to the hands of the work of the house of God. There's a couple other verses, but I just want you to see something here. You know what caused them to be able to build? Except the Lord build the house, they what? They labor in vain that build it. They labor in vain that build it. I was talking to Brother Upshindik yesterday, and there's just so many things that have happened as far as the church plant in Topeka, and it's really beyond, beyond my uh, imagination as far as what God uh, would do for us. Obviously, he's capable of doing anything that he, he sees fit, but he has done so much as far as getting this first church started uh, in Topeka, and it's just, you, I told him, I was telling him yesterday, I said, well, you better not forget all these things, because when things get hard, there is, it's an undeniable as far as what God has done to get this church started. Just when I look at the history of Heritage Baptist Church, it's undeniable the Lord has put his hand of blessing upon this church. And I want to tell you, when it's when the bad times come that you look at those things and say, okay, we can make it through this. You know, isn't it amazing the children of Israel, they get out of, the, get out of Egypt for three days and they're already complaining, there's no water here. Let's go back to Egypt. 
They just got done seeing 10 plagues in the 10th one, the death of the firstborn. I'm going to tell you something, we see so many miracles of what God has done in your family and in our church and all these things, and sometimes we forget those things. And then we come to a problem in our life, and it's like, where's God? He's in the same place he's always been, sitting on his throne. God's the one that allowed the temple to be built, and God's the one that allowed it to be rebuilt. It's interesting how God even used government. You're going to find out that King Cyrus had his spirit stirred. You're going to find that King Darius, that God had used him. And again, it goes back to Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water return through with a silvery well. Amen. Just remember, our, our hope's not in President Biden. Some of you woke up, praise the Lord. I mentioned the word Biden. He didn't come in the door, I'm just letting you know. And by the way, it wouldn't matter if he's president or somebody else president. Our hope is not in the, is not in the White House. Our, our hope is in God. Amen. And you know what? God can do whatever he wants with President Biden. That's right. Amen. Sure. Uh, to be honest with you, this is Scott Hanks speaking. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't want President Biden to die. I sure wouldn't want what the vice president is next. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm speaking from a human standpoint. Give me, give me, give me 30 more seconds. I'll get right back here. I'm just telling you as a person, I sure don't want that vice president to be president. I hope, I hope that Mr. Biden stays alive long enough to finish his term. But you know what? Even if he does die and that woman becomes, becomes president, God's still sitting on his throne. And there's no king above him because he's capital K, king of kings. And no matter what the president thinks they are and how much power they think they have, they don't have any power because God says, hey, your heart's in my hand. I'll make you do whatever I want, Mr. Puppet. He's a puppet anyway, but God says, I, he's my puppet. So those who help, God help. God even used government to help. Very, very interesting. Look at chapter 1, verse number 5, quickly with me. Uh, chapter 1, verse number 5. This is interesting, too. In chapter 1, verse number 5, who else helped them? Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised to go. These are the ones that went. Look at verse 6. And all they that were about them. In other words, those that didn't go. Strengthen their hands, the ones who went, strengthen their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, goods, beasts. Isn't it interesting that God uses people that either don't want to go or can't go? Now, obviously, Chishman, I can't label everybody that stayed in Babylon just because they were secure. I think there was a large group that just felt secure and they weren't going to leave. But we don't know that there was a group of, in Babylon, they couldn't have gone if they wanted to go. But you know what? God uses the people who stayed behind so they can help the people who go. That's why missions is so important, by the way. Okay, so I think Brother Sharp's going to Egypt here, here shortly. I can't go to Egypt. I'm sure glad he can go to Egypt. I can't go over and start a church in Topeka, but I'm really glad that God could send Brother Obshendek for us that he can go start a church in Topeka. You know, God wants us to give to help those who will go. Are you willing to go? You don't have to answer that, but you ought to be. I'm too old to go. I'm going to tell you, you make any excuses you want in life as far as what. All I'm trying to say is, if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that man hath and not according to they hath not. Amen. It's Amen. not so much what I don't have. Is am I willing to do whatever God wants for my life? Church, I mean, there's some of you, it's not, God's will for, it's not God's will for you to go to a foreign field. But yesterday, goodness gracious, at least six to ten adults came out just to drive a vehicle to put flyers on a door. I think God's pleased with that. The rest, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they're all in your lesson there, but as far as people who helped, they were chief of the fathers, though, who were ancient. I, I do want to say this before I dismiss. 
this morning. I want to tell you something. I think that a church continually needs youth to come up behind us. I believe that, okay? There's been too many churches out there where everyone got old, nobody came behind them, and then eventually, over years down the road, the doors, the doors closed because there's no youth. Youth is the bloodline for a church, all right? Church, you can go in Lawrence, Kansas right now, no matter what domination, and you're going to find out there's a bunch of gray-headed people that have been there, but there's no children there. But I want to remind you something. We wouldn't have our churches if it wasn't for the gray-headed ones. We're not going to know until we get to heaven that it, wasn't because, it was because of the hoary-headed ones that were praying. It was the hoary-headed ones that gave. The ones that who lived their life out and then they took what they had made and they used that to sacrifice to God to allow the church to be able to go forward. And I know you got some of these young kids coming back through and they do not have an appreciation. God needs to do something in their life. But we wouldn't make it if it wasn't for the ancient people. Amen. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that God brought you here and you stayed. Because that's really what took place. That's why they were helped. And last of all, they had a prophet, Haggai and Zechariah. And boy, I like their messages and their books. But he basically told them, he said, listen, stop this foolishness. God told you what to do. Just do it. Yeah. Hey, church family, you're the builder. You're saved. You're the builder. You're building your own spirituality, your own Christian life. You're the builder. You have families. You're building those children for the Lord. You're a builder. You're part of the ministry of the Heritage Baptist Church. You're a builder. I don't want to tell you, there's always going to be enemies that's going to try to, adversaries are going to try to hinder you from keeping building. Oh, just give up. Oh, come on, just quit. You can't do it. It's not, it's not necessary. Oh, you got all that baggage. People don't want to, no, wait a second here. You're breathing. You're alive. Build. How do I do it? Well, you got God's help. You got the preacher. You got people alongside of you that are other church members to, to help each other. Keep building. I want to tell you something. There's too many people that's been castaways. You know why? Because they quit building. That's right. Don't stop building. 